0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 22 of They Walk Among Us a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This is part two of a two-part story. Please listen to Season 3, Episode 21 for more details on this case. Listener caution is advised, as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. Sally Clark had been arrested and charged with murdering two of her sons. Sally was adamant she was innocent, but a magistrate at a committal hearing believed there was enough evidence to go to trial. The trial started in October 1999 at Chester Crown Court, and Mr Justice Harrison presided over the case. It was expected to last three weeks. Robin Spencer QC, acting on behalf of the prosecution, told the jury that both of Sally Clark's sons had been killed by their mother. It was alleged that Christopher was smothered to death on December 13th, 1996, while his father Stephen Clark was away from home attending a Christmas party. The prosecution also believed that Harry was either smothered or shaken to death 13 months later in January 1998. Robin Spencer QC believed the similarities in each case couldn't be put down to pure coincidence. Christopher and Harry were of a similar age when they died, 11 and 8 weeks respectively. They had both been found unresponsive by Sully around 9.30pm after they had been fed. They were both discovered by Sully in the same bedroom. Steve was either away or due to go away in connection with his work, and in each case, there was evidence consistent with abuse. The prosecutor told the jury that the children's mother had reached the end of her tether, and said her actions struck at the very core of everything natural and wholesome in the relationship between mother and child. The court was then played the 999 calls made on the evenings that the babies died. Dr. Alan Williams, who spoke on behalf of the prosecution and carried out post-mortems on both infants, told the court that he considered that neither Christopher or Harry died as a result of natural causes. He suggested Christopher had been the victim of physical abuse. There were fingertip bruises on the infant's body, A tear in his frenulum, between his upper lip and front teeth, and the presence of blood in his lungs. The doctor then provided evidence which suggested Harry was also the victim of physical abuse. Retinal haemorrhages, haemorrhages and swelling of the spinal cord, a fracture to the second right rib, and dislocation of the coastal cartilage of the right first rib. Dr. Williams indicated to the court that he found no evidence that Harry was suffering from the effects of any illness or disease at the time of death. The defence argued that SIDS, or Sudden Infant Death Syndrome, was to blame for the death of Harry, and Christopher had died from an infection of the lower respiratory tract. Under cross-examination, Julian Bevan QC, acting on behalf of the defence, questioned Dr. Williams. The doctor admitted that Harry's injuries, most specifically to his neck, lacked the apparent features that would be expected if a baby was shaken to death. Shortly before the trial, Professor Michael Green, an expert witness for the prosecution, and Professor Timothy David, an impartial consultant paediatrician for the family division, saw the slides on which the evidence of Harry's retinal haemorrhages were placed. Professor Michael Green and the impartial consultant were certain that these were of post-mortem origin and were the result of an error in the slide preparation. They were not retinal haemorrhages. The evidence should have been discounted entirely. It was also discovered that Harry's dislocated rib showed no signs of haemorrhage or tissue damage around it, which you would expect to see if Harry was alive when the injury occurred. X-rays of the whole of Harry's skeleton were taken and revealed no evidence of injury but Dr. Williams discovered them during his examination. Experts for the defense argued the blood found in Christopher's lungs could have been due to a nosebleed, and the bruises found on Christopher may not have been bruises at all, but likely post-mortem effects as hospital staff had made no mention of them when Christopher was admitted. The observation of the bruises came solely from Dr. Williams. Also, the photos taken of the injuries to Christopher's frenulum were of such poor quality that other experts were unable to assess the findings. The jury were only reliant on the testimony of Dr. Williams and his expertise as a witness. Dr. Williams was again asked if there are any blood tests for Harry that might further explain a cause of death. He said there were not. Brenda Merchant, a health worker who saw Sally and Christopher a few days before he died, told the court Sally behaved like a normal mother and there looked to be no cause for concern. Sally Clark took to the stand and recounted the loss of her boys. She said, I couldn't believe that it could have happened twice, and you know, we were just meant to have children. And I love them so much. Asked by her counsel if she killed her children, she replied, No, I did not. Under cross-examination, Sally Clark was asked to explain the blood that was found in Christopher's lungs. She did not have an answer. The prosecution presented letters to the jury written by Sally Clark a week before Harry's death. The first was addressed to Stephen's parents, in which Sally explained that Harry whined as he was always hungry. The second was playfully written by Sally, pretending to be Harry, in which she wrote, I like to sleep and look angelic most of the day, but at night I prefer to stay awake and keep mummy and daddy awake with me. The prosecution also mentioned the fact that Sally Clark called Harry little bugger during her police interview. The prosecutor Robert Spencer QC was relentless, He asked Sally near countless times if she killed her children. He asked if Christopher struggled when he died. Sally tried to remain composed, but at that point the tears didn't stop, nor did Robert Spencer. Sally did her best to recall the events leading up to the death of her sons, but occasionally she got the facts wrong and was repeatedly corrected by Robert Spencer. At one point even the judge began to question some of the statements Sally had given. After Sally Clark was questioned, Stephen Clark was called to the witness box. He told the court about his boys. There was such a joy in our lives, he said. He was also questioned about the events leading up to the death of his sons. Again, attempts were made by the prosecution to poke holes in Steve Clark's testimony. He was also asked how long he was away from Harry Clark on the night of his son's death. Robert Spencer QC suggested that perhaps Steve was lying to protect his wife. Steve Clark told the court that he was almost certain that he got home between 5.30pm to 5.45pm. Steve's memory of the evening was hazy at best. He had asked the receptionist at his law firm when his taxi was booked and based his answer on her response. The prosecution knew otherwise. It was discovered that Steve hadn't got home at around 5.30pm as he testified. He wasn't picked up from the office until 7.40pm as the receptionist had written down the wrong time. He was told by the prosecution he had deliberately deceived the jury to shorten the time his wife was alone with Harry. This was something Steve Clark disputed, however as he had unknowingly provided the court with false evidence, the jury might consider him to be an unreliable witness. During a committal hearing, details of Sally Clark's alcohol dependence were presented by the prosecution. On one occasion, Sally had to be collected by her husband after she had had too much to drink at a work conference. This made her colleagues concerned. After she returned to work following Christopher's death, she was caught drinking and the partners at the firm sent her home on early maternity leave. Sally was asked why she drank and she explained that she felt something was missing from her life. She said she felt lonely and struggled to deal with her feelings. This information was never heard by the jury. An essential part of the case against Sally Clark was the likelihood of a mother discovering two siblings lifeless in their cots within 13 months of one another. Professor Sir Roy Meadow, who spoke at the committal hearing, gave evidence at the trial and said the probability of two unexplained cot deaths in a family was 73 million to one. This was a significant statement. He likened it to backing an 80 to one outsider in the Grand National that wins four years in a row. He had arrived at the figure by taking the likelihood of a single cot death at the time, this being 8,543 to one. He then timed the number 8543 by itself. He had based his findings on a draft report commissioned by the Department of Health called the Conditional Inquiry into Stillborns and Deaths in Infancy. There were caveats in the report which suggested affluence, the age of the mother, the absence of a wage earner and the presence of a smoker would increase the chances of cot death. Professor Sir Roy Meadow considered none of these factors. During closing, the prosecutor Robert Spencer QC painted Sally Clark as a baby killer whose motive for killing her children was her weight gain during pregnancy, the fact the children got in the way of her career and her husband being away socialising when she was stuck at home. Julian Bevan QC, Counsel for the Defence, addressed the court and said, Members of the jury, there is suspicion in this case, but there is no certainty. In summing up, the judge said, The defendant does not have to prove her innocence. The burden of doing that is on the prosecution. That means you must be sure of guilt. After an 18-day trial, a jury of seven women and five men found Sally Clark, Guilty of both charges of murder by a 10-2 majority verdict on November 9th, 1999. She would be sentenced at a later date as the judge needed some further background reports before making his decision. After the trial, Sally's solicitor, Mike Mackey, informed the press that they would be appealing the decision. Sally's husband addressed reporters and said, During both their short lives, my wife was a caring, devoted mother to our sons. They were not murdered and she is innocent. She is being convicted on the basis of flawed evidence and statistics. I would ask any parent who has suffered the tragedy of cot death to come forward and help us put right this terrible wrong and prevent others having to tread this awful path. Detective Inspector John Gardner, who led the inquiry, discussed the difficulties during the investigation. He told reporters, It is not easy. When people make remarks about what we did or didn't do, you have to realise you are probably dealing with the hardest thing you will ever have to do as a police officer. To confront a parent and ask them about the accusation of killing their own children. That, to most people, is unbelievable. After the verdict, news outlets reported on the difficulty in creating reliable statistics to identify true instances of cot death or foul play. Describing these instances, where the death of a baby is unexplained even after a post-mortem, sudden infant death syndrome or cot death is often used. Sir Roy Meadow, who gave evidence for the Crown during Sally Clark's trial, wrote in a journal called Archives of Disease in Childhood, SIDS has been used at times as a pathological diagnosis to evade awkward truths. A confidential inquiry into sudden deaths of infants, a government study to understand the causes, put the mistreatment of infants either through poor care or harm at around 6%, The study was carried out over the course of three years between 1993 and 1996. After Sally Clark's conviction, a spokesperson for the Foundation for the Study of Infant Deaths said the difficulty comes when there is no sign of physical abuse. The spokesperson explained that medical science does not conclusively know the cause, but strongly argues that vast amounts are natural and not due to the parent playing a part. They stated if a couple have a child who dies suddenly and unexpectedly, the risk of it happening again does increase. The reasons for this are varied and range from metabolic disorders to maltreatment and environmental and social factors. Certainly second cot deaths can be true cot deaths where all other causes have been excluded. Sentencing took place on Friday, November 26, 1999. Mr Justice Harrison had reviewed a 50-page psychiatric report that detailed Sally's struggle with alcohol. This information had been withheld from the jury as Sally hadn't been drinking on the nights her sons had died. The judge said, It highlights your history with alcohol abuse from at least 1996 onwards. I stress, however, that there is no evidence that you consumed any alcohol on either occasion. You killed your babies, nevertheless. The plain fact is that you have taken the lives of two vulnerable and defenceless babies. There is only one sentence that by law I can pass for these crimes, and that one is of life imprisonment. Sally Clark was given two concurrent life sentences. Sally was first sent to Stahl Prison in Cheshire. She was held in the hospital wing as it was the only place she would be kept safe from the other prisoners. As the days passed, the other inmates found out where she was and started shouting from their cell windows. When another prisoner who was on the same ward asked Sally what she had been convicted of, she replied honestly. The prisoner instantly struck her in the face with a plastic mug. Being the daughter of a police officer didn't help Sally either. She lost weight, choosing not to face a stream of abuse in the prison dining area. In the UK press she was reviled and they labelled her a lonely drunk who killed her babies. Sally started to write letters to her loved ones and supporters from a prison cell. In one piece of correspondence she wrote... Even now, I cannot understand how and why I was convicted. I love my two little boys and did not harm them in any way. In January of the following year, she was sent to Bullwood Prison in Essex. Outside of prison, Steve had to sell Hope Cottage, the couple's home, to pay back the money they had borrowed. He left his law partnership in Manchester, and found work near the prison so he could be close to Sally. He bought a modest home, always asking Sally's advice on how it should be decorated, and visited her every other weekend. In April 2000, Steve Clark appeared on a television programme called Dispatches, in which he questioned his wife's conviction. After the programme aired... Professor David Patrick Southall contacted the Staffordshire Police. He was a consultant paediatrician with considerable experience of life-threatening child abuse. He informed the Child Protection Unit that he knew how the abuse to both Christopher and Harry had occurred. He contacted Detective Inspector Gardner in the Cheshire Constabulary, who was the senior investigating officer for the case against Sally. Professor Southall claimed it wasn't Sally... But Steve Clark, who murdered Christopher and Harry. He based his conclusions on the nosebleed that Christopher had had when Sally and Steve Clark travelled to London before the infant's death. However, Professor Southall had not seen any medical files for either of the two boys, he had heard none of the court testimony, and had not met Sally or Steve Clark. This came at a time when Steve Clark had only just recently regained custody of his third son. Social Services held a child protection planning meeting and Professor Southall was asked to document his findings. A report was submitted during August 2000 in which Professor Southall wrote it was highly likely that Steve Clark had murdered his own children. He also expressed concern for the child in Steve Clark's care. The professor underpinned the findings taken from a television programme with his own research. At no point in the report did he stipulate the conclusions came from a limited set of information. Professor Southall wrote it was likely beyond a reasonable doubt that Steve Clark was responsible. Social Services undertook a full and lengthy investigation, and they found that the allegations by Professor Southall had no basis in reality. It was also discovered that at the time Professor Southall had contacted the Child Protection Unit, he had been suspended by his employer the North Staffordshire Hospital NHS Trust. He had agreed with them that he would not carry out any outside child protection work without first seeking permission from the acting medical director. Steve Clark submitted a complaint to the General Medical Council about David Southall. However, it would take four years before a hearing was even ordered. In June 2000, a panel of appeal judges agreed that new evidence could be heard in the case against Sally Clark. Julian Bevan QC acting on Sally's behalf would be presenting new forensic reports along with testimony from new witnesses to dispute the statistics provided during the trial from Professor Sir Roy Meadow and the findings made by Dr. Alan Williams who examined both Christopher and Harry. Solicitor for Sally Clark Mike Mackey told the press, The gist of the appeal is that we will be challenging certain technical legal aspects in terms of the conduct of the trial. We are calling fresh evidence regarding the statistic that the odds of two cot deaths occurring was 73 million to one. We're also calling fresh evidence in relation to certain aspects of medical evidence that was given at the original trial. On July 17th, 2000, An appeal against Sally Clark's conviction was heard at the Court of Appeal in London and was expected to last five days. It would be heard before Lord Justice Dennis Henry, Mrs. Justice Joanne Bracewell and Mr. Justice Stephen Richards. The grounds for appeal were as follows. The cases should have been tried separately as the judge was wrong in law ruling that the evidence on each count was admissible upon the other the judge wrongly directed the jury that they could take into account the circumstances surrounding both deaths before concluding that either was unnatural. The evidence given by Professor Sir Roy Meadow of the statistical probability of two SIDS deaths in one family undermined the safety of the convictions, and fresh medical evidence relating to the haemorrhages at the back of Harry's eyes undermines the credibility of the Crown's pathologist, Dr. Williams. Julian bevan QC explained to the panel of judges that the testimony provided by Roy Meadow was in direct conflict with the views of other experts. He called them at best unconfirmed, or at worst, plain wrong. He said, Once the jury knew that the chances of sudden infant death syndrome occurring twice were 73 million to one, It is hardly surprising that they may well have translated this statistic as meaning the chances of innocence were 73 million to one against. Julian Bevan stated that the death should have been attributed to either SIDS or at the very least be unascertained. It was announced at the start of October 2000 that Sally's appeal was denied. The verdict read we consider that there was an overwhelming case against the appellant at trial. If there had been no error in relation to statistics at the trial, we are satisfied that the jury would still have convicted on each count. In the context of the trial as a whole, the point on statistics was of minimal significance, and there is no possibility of the jury having been misled so as to reach verdicts that they might not otherwise have reached. After the verdict was read aloud at the High Court, Sally stood in the dock and wiped the tears from her eyes. She mouthed the words, I love you, to her husband. Despite medical experts and the Royal Statistical Society voicing their concerns, the Court of Appeal remained convinced that Sally Clark was guilty as they stated the evidence was overwhelming. They did, however, admit that Professor Sir Roy Meadows' statistics were flawed. Outside the Court of Appeal, Stephen Clark addressed the waiting press and said, For 72 days and as many dark nights, Sally and I have been waiting. Now three judges of the Court of Appeal, eminent, respected, with intellect beyond ours, decree that Sally did murder our two sons. She did not, and they are wrong. After thanking his wife's supporters, he said, We are not the first to have had to come to this place twice, three four times or more before achieving justice. Sally will be released, and I ask you, do not forget us. Sally later told a friend that Steve should divorce her so he could move on and he and their son could have a normal life. In 2001, a study by scientists at the University of Manchester discovered a genetic link between cases of sudden infant death syndrome, which suggested that the probability of multiple cot deaths in the same family was much higher than previously thought. In July of that year, an investigation by the BBC programme The Five Live Report and The Observer newspaper was broadcast, which highlighted the discovery of the cot death gene earlier in the year. Professor Sir Roy Meadow declined to be interviewed for the radio show. Elements of his testimony had also been used in the trials of other mothers convicted of murdering their children. After the radio program was aired, a representative for Sally Clark said based on the findings they would be launching a new appeal. A further investigation was done by the BBC, who discovered that before the trial, Sir Roy Meadow shredded the notes on which he based his findings. During January 2002, the Royal Statistical Society and other medical experts wrote to the Lord Chancellor disputing the statistic that Professor Sir Roy Meadow provided during the original trial. Concerns noted that Roy Meadow's calculation was based on the assumption that the two deaths were independent. There was now evidence that when a family suffered the loss of a child due to cot death, this increased their chances of losing a second. This could be influenced either due to genetic or environmental factors, along with the sex of the sibling. Another concern was that if the 73 million to 1 was based in fact, then the jury should have heard the probability of competing outcomes. The previous year, in 2001, Marilyn Stowe, a divorce lawyer from Leeds, reached out to Steve Clark to offer her services free of charge when she read about his wife's case in the news. She began taking statements from those who had heard about the case and wished to speak up. Marilyn Stowe met with a manufacturer of apnea machines who gave a statement in which he said that there hadn't been any reported faults on the devices since 1990. A fail-safe switch was built in, which suggested it wasn't a fault. Harry was having problems breathing. Marilyn Stowe was also asked by Steve and the defense team to obtain further medical reports on Christopher and Harry kept by Macclesfield Hospital. She requested every piece of documentation she could and visited the hospital and spoke with the staff multiple times. The reports were finally provided in September 2001 and Steve Clark pored over the pages in a bid to find something that might have been missed. In February 2002, while looking through the hospital documentation, he found a microbiology report on Harry. Unsure of what the results meant, he sent them to a consultant pathologist who was an expert in bacteria and sudden infant death syndrome at Lancaster Royal Infirmary. This information was not presented to the jury, the prosecution or the defence at the time of the trial. The results proved that Harry Clark died from a bacterial infection. The findings were presented to the Criminal Case Review Commission, and in July 2002, the case was referred back to the Court of Appeal.
2: At Sally's trial, the jury was told there was only a one in 73 million chance both boys died of natural causes. Her lawyers believe the new evidence of death from disease is overwhelming. It's medical evidence not seen by the defense at Sally Clark's trial that secured a fresh appeal. Evidence understood to be a lab report which shows her second son Harry may have died of natural causes.
1: I am absolutely satisfied uh, that uh, these grounds of appeal are some of the strongest that will ever have been considered by the Court of Criminal Appeal.
0: A second appeal began at the Royal Courts of Justice during the end of January 2003. Claire Montgomery QC, acting on behalf of Sally Clark, explained that Harry Clark had suffered from a Staphylococcus aureus infection prior to his death and the bacteria had reached as far as his spinal fluid and he would have died suddenly in reaction to the lethal levels of the bacteria. This was confirmed in microbiological testing by the Home Office. During the hearing Claire Montgomery QC said, For nearly three years after the death of Harry Clark, Sally Clark, her lawyer and their medical advisers believed there was no evidence of infection or any possible natural explanation of his death. It is now clearly appreciated by those who are specialists in the area that this provides a very real explanation as to how Harry met his death. It requires no degree of expertise to realise the test results should have been revealed by Dr Williams. Dr Alan Williams, a pathologist for the prosecution who carried out the post-mortem examinations on both Christopher and Harry, had been aware of this evidence since February 1998, but had not disclosed it. He chose not to be a witness at the appeal. However, Robin Spencer QC, acting on behalf of the Crown Prosecution Service, told the hearing that the results had not been withheld deliberately.
2: Sally Clark's father and husband left court after listening intently to four hours of detailed medical evidence, new evidence which could explain the death of a son and grandson, and evidence it's now claimed was kept secret. The prosecution disputes that Harry died from a bacterial infection. They say it's not a conclusion that can properly or conceivably be drawn from the evidence in this case. But the judges pointed out it was an option the jury was never even allowed to consider.
0: Three Court of Appeal judges, Lord Justice Kaye, Mr Justice Holland and Mrs Justice Hallett decided Sally Clark's conviction was unsafe and she was released.
2: The whole system of expert witnesses in court is now under question. How could someone spend three years in prison largely because of flawed evidence being presented?
0: There are many experts regularly giving evidence in this country who virtually always are briefed by the Crown or by the
1: defence. That raises a question mark, in my view, as to their professional objectivity and impartiality. An expert should be there to help the court,
0: not to help the person who is paying him.
2: Professor Alan Williams, the prosecution pathologist who carried out post-mortem tests on both babies, had evidence of a bacterial infection in Harry which had reached his spine. He did not give that information to Sally Clark's defence team and it didn't come to light until after her first appeal. The breakthrough came when her
3: husband Stephen Clark discovered crucial evidence. Blood tests ordered by the Home Office pathologist Dr. Alan Williams that showed Harry had been infected with Staphylococcus aureus that can cause toxic shock or meningitis. In the end, the harshest criticism was reserved for Dr Williams. Lord Justice Kaye said this was not a fair trial. He said this resulted from the failure of the pathologist to share with other doctors investigating the cause of death information that any competent pathologist ought to have appreciated needed to be assessed before any conclusion was reached.
2: If we continue sending people to prison on the basis of an unproven scientific theory
3: which is based itself upon a mathematical error, then there will be a miscarriage of justice in a multiple cot death case every 12 to 18 months.
0: What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families, and EcoVadis-certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Centair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at Centair.com. After the Court of Appeal decision, the Crown Prosecution Service and the Cheshire Police gave a joint statement in which they said, This is a case in which the police investigation and the prosecution relied almost exclusively on the expert findings and the expert interpretation of those findings. The statement said that it was impossible to carry out further testing and due to the extensive publicity around the case, another trial would not be possible. Mike Mackey, a solicitor for Sally Clark, told the press that she was still in a state of shock, but grateful for the court's decision. He said, Ever since the information was discovered, I've been convinced we would win the appeal. Nothing has been said in the court of appeal today that could not have been said six months ago. It may well be that with the correct information these 12 members of the jury who are obviously struggling to do the right thing would have reached the right conclusion all that time ago. There is a huge number of these prosecutions going through the courts often based not on medical fact but on medical theory. Outside the court Sally Clark gave a statement to the press.
2: Today is not a victory. We are not victorious. There are no winners here we have all lost. We simply feel relief that our nightmare is finally at an end. We are now now back in the position we should have been in all along. and pleased that we may now be allowed some privacy to grieve for our little boys in peace and try to make sense of what has happened to us. I'd like to thank the hundreds of people who have written to me since my conviction to offer me their support. These letters have been my, my lifeline, a source of great comfort, especially during my bleaker
1: times.
0: Sally's father, Frank Lockyer, also spoke to reporters.
1: It's easy to be proud when they're getting their A-levels and university degrees, but the real time to be proud is how they cope when the chips are down. And for the last five years, it's been extremely difficult for them, and I'm, I'm immensely proud. Proud of the
0: way they both reacted. Sally Clark was reinstated on the role of solicitors in February 2003 after her suspension in 2001. Although she had been convicted of a serious offense at the time, She wasn't struck off the role of solicitors, instead, being suspended indefinitely in a case that was brought before a solicitors' disciplinary tribunal in London. At the time, Sally was not allowed to attend the tribunal, but in a recorded statement, she spoke of a son whom she could see for one wonderful day every month. She said, Together with my husband, he is the light of my life. At the time, she told the tribunal, My life was then turned upside down when in a short space of time I suffered the loss of my beloved Christopher and then, when we had just started to try and rebuild our lives again, Harry. It is not easy to put into words the utter despair and anguish we felt at the time. I now suffer the minute by minute torture of life imprisonment. I was in a state of shock and disbelief and yet, as I sit here before you today, I have absolute faith that our system of justice will work in the end and will prove my innocence. I was advised before my trial that if I pleaded guilty to infanticide I would probably serve no time of imprisonment. I am where I am today because I couldn't tell any lies. I did not lie then and I cannot lie now. After Sally Clark's conviction was overturned she was again allowed to practice law.
2: In Sally herself, there were flowers today. As for the first time in three years, she woke up with her husband and went shopping with him. Friends say she's contented, happy to return to humdrum life.
1: When I talked to her, she was in Tesco's. um, Amazed that she wasn't frightened by the experience. uh, Delighted that nobody recognized her. And having just had, I think, a, a hamburger.
2: So as Sally begins to reacquaint herself with those small freedoms we all take for granted, it's clear the past events which brought her to this court will also shape her future. Friends believe Sally will now begin to campaign for other women, other mums wrongly accused of killing their children.
0: Following the appeal, the Attorney-General at the time ordered that a full review be undertaken of similar cases in which mothers had been convicted of killing their children. Donna Anthony was convicted of killing her son and daughter in 1998. The conviction was overturned seven years later. Tripti Patel was charged with the murder of her three children in 2002, but was cleared by jury in June 2003. Angela Cannings was convicted of the murder of her two sons in April 2002. She was freed after the Court of Appeal overturned the conviction in December 2003. Professor Sir Roy Meadow had been an expert witness for the prosecution in all their cases. In January 2004, he told Channel 4 News, I cannot comment on any of these cases as I have a duty of confidentiality to the children involved and the court. Much as I would welcome the opportunity to discuss the general subject of child abuse and to help clarify some of the current misunderstandings, my legal advisors have forbidden such discussions at present. After a complaint to the General Medical Council by Steve Clark regarding the claims by Professor David Southall that the boy's father murdered his two sons, A seven-day hearing was held into the professor's conduct by the GMC Professional Conduct Committee in June 2004. Steve Clark addressed the hearing and said, I was quite stunned. For the last two and a half years I felt my family had been attacked by the full force of the state. I'd lost my son, who had been taken away from me, and I'd lost my wife. My life was in chaos at that point. Everything I'd worked for had been taken away from me. Initially I thought, is this some sort of sick joke? Then I realised it was not. It was deadly serious. My son could be taken into care, even taken out of the family, and I would never see him again. Professor David Southall defended his actions and denied that his behaviour was irresponsible or an abuse of his professional position. He also denied serious professional misconduct. He told the medical council... If I had not done what I did, I think that would have been a hidden abuse of my professional responsibility. The main overriding motivation was the fact that there was a third child in the family living with a person who I was very concerned might harm him. As far as I was concerned, the truth, the facts behind my opinion were already corroborated by various eminent people who knew what they were talking about and who were involved in the case. After reviewing all the evidence... The committee's findings against Professor David Southall read as follows. The committee consider your conduct amounts to a serious departure from the standards expected from a registered medical practitioner. He was also told, Based on the findings on facts in this case and your apparent lack of insight, the committee have decided that it would be inappropriate for you to continue with child protection work for the foreseeable future. Professor David Southall was found guilty of serious professional misconduct. He could have no involvement in child protection issues for three years, though he was not struck off the General Medical Register. In June 2005, Professor Sir Roy Meadow was brought before the General Medical Review Council.
3: There are estimated to be at least 50 similar cases of Munchausen syndrome by proxy, devised by Professor Meadow to describe mothers who harm their children to gain attention. But it's the murder trials that have brought the paediatrician into the public eye. At Sally Clark's trial, he said two cot deaths in one family was a 1 in 73 million chance. That statistic was discredited. At Trupti Patel's trial, he said such deaths were rare. But even before that, he would given evidence at Donna Anthony's trial. He said two deaths was a one-in-a-million chance. She is still in jail. And Angela Cannings, who was released on appeal last week after 20 months in prison, at her trial, he said, such deaths were very rare. She is one of the people who has complained to the GMC.
1: This is not a, a witch hunt. We are not after them. They are entitled to a presumption of fitness to practise. But Sally Clark and Angela Cannings were not given a presumption of innocence. They had a presumption of guilt and there's something really unjust there.
0: Professor Sir Roy Meadow was struck off the General Medical Register after being found guilty of serious professional misconduct. He apologised for providing misleading evidence during the hearing. Sally Clark's father, Frank Lockyer, became emotional when addressing the reporters after the verdict. The panel
1: have recognised the serious consequences of this case upon my daughter. They have applied the ultimate sanction to the doctor who played such a large part in my daughter's conviction. Now perhaps we as a family can put the last seven years of hell behind us and move on. Um, I remember very much the words of my daughter when she said and you'll remember them too there are no winners here. Only tragedy,
0: due to his failings Dr. Alan Williams was also struck off the General Medical Register for serious professional misconduct. He was also banned from coroner cases and home office pathology work for three years. He was however allowed to continue working at Macclesfield General Hospital in Cheshire.
3: The appeal court judges in the Sally Clark case said that Dr. Williams failure to pass on test results created a significant risk of a miscarriage of justice Dr Williams' argument here today at the GMC has been that he did not believe he had to reveal post-mortem findings unless he thought they had any relevance to the cause of death. The GMC said their role was not concerned with how the two boys died, it was to look at Dr Williams' actions. They found that he had failed in his duty to consider all possible causes of death and that the post-mortems were so impaired they could not be considered reliable.
0: Delivering the verdict, Chairman of the GMC Peter Richards said, you had a responsibility as an experienced forensic pathologist. A fair trial hinged on your evidence. Your errors and omissions were formidable.
3: As Dr. Williams left the GMC today without Why commenting, the result, issued a statement saying it was a matter of great regret that his obvious failings were completely ignored by various public bodies.
1: Why didn't you just hold the
3: test results, Dr. Williams?
0: So where are we now? During February 2006, Professor Sir Roy Meadows successfully overturned the verdict of serious professional misconduct and was reinstated on the medical register after an appeal at the High Court.
3: It was what Professor Meadow said at the trial of solicitor Sally Clark that led to him being struck off by the General Medical Council. He'd argued that the chance of a double cop death in one family was one in 73 million, a statistic that was later disputed, but not before Sally Clark was sent to jail. Today's appeal court ruling found that Professor Meadow had made an honest mistake and that such expert witnesses should be immune from any legal
2: consequences.
0: Dr Christine Tompkins, Deputy Chief Executive of the Medical Defence Union who supported Roy Meadow was interviewed and believed doctors should be able to provide an expert opinion in cases where there are allegations of child abuse without fear that they would be the subject of a finding of serious professional misconduct.
2: It is very important for our members who act as experts in civil and criminal courts that they can feel able to give their evidence in good faith without fear of retribution.
0: After the verdict, Roy Meadow released a statement which read, I am relieved that the court has quashed the GMC's decision. Children can only be protected from abuse if those who suspect abuse are able to give their honest opinion without fear of retribution. This is an important decision for paediatricians and all doctors, nurses, teachers and other professionals who may have to express difficult and sometimes unpopular opinions in the course of giving evidence in court. They should be able to do so without the fear of prosecution by the GMC or other professional regulators. Dr. Alan Williams also appealed the decision to strike him from the General Medical Register. He had initially told a General Medical Council fitness to practice panel that he did not find the test results which showed Harry Clark had contracted a severe bacterial infection relevant and that if the defence wanted the reports, they should have asked for them. His lawyers argued that he had been made a scapegoat due to the failings of others. The decision to remove him from the General Medical Register was upheld during November 2007, although his suspension from home office pathology work was reduced to 18 months. After her release... Sally Clark and her husband Steve attempted to move on and build a new life with their son. Over the next few years, Sally struggled to come to terms with what had happened. On Friday, March 16th, 2007, it was reported that she was found dead at her home in the village of Hatfield Peveril in Essex. She was 42 years old.
2: Victorious in her appeal, but looking exhausted and gaunt after her ordeal, Sally Clark was released to freedom, but never recovered from her son's deaths and the injustice of her wrongful conviction. A key factor was the overturning of misleading evidence from Professor Roy Meadow, who'd said the chances of two caught deaths in one family was one in 73 million. Cot death campaigner Joyce Epstein says Sally's case was pivotal in understanding multiple cot deaths. The death of Sally Clark's children and other sudden infant deaths led to um, a great call for improvement in the way that these tragedies are investigated.
1: The cause of her death is currently unknown, the post-mortem to be carried out on Monday Yet, according to her family, she was never able to get over the tragic events that beset her. Accusations and convictions for murder, three years in prison, an appalling miscarriage of
0: justice. Sue Staple, a solicitor acting on behalf of the Clark family, said, Sally was a loving and talented wife, mother, daughter and friend she will be greatly missed by all who knew her. When the solicitor was asked if she knew what the suspected cause might be, she replied, I think it would be very unwise to speculate about these things. She was not suffering from any kind of disease at the time of her death, but she was not in the best of health. Following the news, an initial inquest heard that Sally Clark had likely died of natural causes, but further testing would be needed. Angela Cannings and Donna Anthony, who were both wrongly convicted of killing their children, were interviewed after they heard the news of Sally's death.
3: To this day, I will never ever forget what was said about me, and I probably will carry it to my grave. And I think the same was would be said for Sally. And um, she seemed to be very traumatised by what had happened to her. I'm not saying that I'm not, because I still am but I'm coping with it in a different way, I believe. When I was released, there was no counselling services. There was absolutely no support whatsoever. I had to do everything on my own with the support of friends and my solicitor and things, and it's just ridiculous. There should be more support for those that have been through this.
0: John Batt, a family friend and solicitor who had known Sally since she was five, was also interviewed. He said she would have good days and bad days, but I don't think you can ever recover from something like that. Imagine being in jail where everyone thinks you are the scum of the earth, the lowest human being that walks the earth. The thick end of it is that she lost five to six years of her life in what was state-sponsored torture. John Batt worked as part of Sally's defence team, and wrote Stolen Innocence, a book about Sally's life, her arrest, conviction and eventual exoneration. During April 2007, a funeral service for Sally Clark attended by relatives and close friends was held at a church near Sally's father's home in Wiltshire. In November, an inquest took place to determine the exact circumstances of Sally's death. John Phoebe, a coroner's officer, told the inquest that Sally was found unresponsive. Emergency services were notified, and upon arrival confirmed that Sally had passed away. Following a post-mortem, drug testing identified that she had alcohol in her system, five times over the drink drive limit. It was determined Sally Clark died accidentally, as a result of acute alcohol intoxication. There was no indication that she intended to take her own life. One of the founders of the Miscarriages of Justice organisation, John McManus, was interviewed by the press and said, Everyone thinks it's like the film The Shawshank Redemption. You get out of jail and life is brilliant. You can't just come out and pick up the pieces of your life. In my opinion, this woman died of a broken heart and basically used alcohol to take away the horrors. After the inquest, the Clark family released a statement. It read, All Sally's family and friends knew her as a loving and devoted mother, wife and daughter, a view also shared by all the professionals who cared for her and her children. Sally was unable to come to terms with the false accusations based on flawed medical evidence and the failures of the legal system, which debased everything she had been brought up to believe in and which she herself practised. Having suffered what was acknowledged by the Court of Appeal to be one of the worst miscarriages of justice of recent years, it is hardly surprising that her ordeal over ten years culminated in the diagnosis of enduring personality change after catastrophic experience, protracted grief reaction an alcohol dependency syndrome and that she was never able to return to being the happy, kind and generous person we all knew and loved. The hope is that some good may come out of the tragedy of her untimely death and that a sense of balance will be restored which will protect not only infants but also their innocent parents. Thank you for listening and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. If you have experienced the sudden loss of a baby and are looking for both emotional and practical support, you can contact the Lullaby Trust in the UK on 0808 802 6868 or for more information visit lullabytrust.org.uk